0: Okay, welcome, welcome to those of you who are new here. If you are new here this morning, we are currently doing a series from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians, second letter to the Corinthians. We're drawing out some themes from this letter, especially as we prepare to go to two congregations in January. will be, uh, a number of us will be moving up to Alder Road where we've been doing building works this year and starting congregation up there. And so we're thinking about things which are helping us prepare for that, what life will be like when we are in two congregations. And um, the theme, this morning's theme is that we need to prepare for purity. Prepare for purity. There are three words which we often use to describe the, the mission purpose of what we're called to do as a church. Adventure, purity, and compassion. Going to two congregations is clearly an adventure of faith. It's going to be costly. It's taking lots of planning, preparation, energy, focus. Uh, we're also constantly reminded of the need to both know and experience and minister the compassion of Jesus Christ. There's all kinds of things going on, even in this room, with people who need to experience the compassion of Christ, need to be ministered to by other people in the room. There's the, all the stuff going on in our nation in terms of economic stuff we're very aware of. Uh, people feel the pressure. Uh, compassionate towards Heidi as she goes out to children's work. And uh, also the stuff we see in the headlines of today, just looking at the news were coming out and seeing those pictures of thousands of Russians trying to flee Russia to avoid conscription and what's happening in Iran after that woman was killed and the the consequence of that. So there's all kinds of things around the world where we can say we need to see the compassion of God. So we want to be adventurous in faith and and show the compassion of Christ, but we mustn't forget the P word, the purity word. We are called to be pure. And we're going to look at a passage in 2 Corinthians 6, starting at verse 14. This is quite a challenging passage, it's quite a challenging message to preach, so let's ask for God's grace, let's read the passage and uh, go for it. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Challenging passage. First thing, don't be unequally yoked. The uh, main application I've heard from this passage over the years is to say that uh, uh, those who know Jesus, believers in Jesus, shouldn't marry those who don't know Jesus. And there is some application there, but it's probably not the thing which Paul had primarily in mind as he writes this passage. Actually, it addresses many broader issues in terms of where our focus is. Uh, But nonetheless, there is an application there. And uh, for those of you in this room who are in that kind of situation, perhaps you came to faith and your partner hasn't, and you have the uh, reality of, uh, of the painfulness of that, longing for your marriage partner to come to faith. There can be all kinds of issues around this and all kinds of things which we could explore and look at there. But I don't really want to focus there this morning because I think the, the passage really is looking at much broader issues. And there are things in here which, uh, if you're not a follower of Jesus, are potentially quite offensive in terms of these contrasts that the Apostle Paul is making between believers and unbelievers, between light and darkness and all the implications of that. And for those of us who are believers, there are things here which can be quite challenging in terms of how we understand this passage and what it means for us. There's all kinds of potential for us to be really helped by this passage this morning, of course, because it's God's word. There's all kinds of potential for us to be quite offended as well. So we need to ask God for help and grace in it. And these, I think, are difficult instructions to interpret and apply for us. We can read what is written here, and and we could say, well, does this mean, Paul, that what you want us to do is to cut ourselves off entirely from the world, that as Christians, as followers of Christ, we should have nothing to do with people who don't know Jesus, that we only conduct business with other Christians, and we uh, try not to socialize with people who don't know Jesus, and we never go to places where uh, people who aren't Christians might be. Does it mean that, or... Actually, should what we really do not cut ourselves off from the the world, but effectively cut these verses out of Scripture because they're obviously just too extreme and too difficult and just kind of forget what this says. It can't really apply. And and you can see both those extremes in the history of the church. There are groups which have, and still to this day, would very much take the first approach. We will withdraw ourselves from the world. We'll have as little as possible to do with those who don't know don't know Jesus. We'll just be in our Christian community, and there are others who go the other way, and so this is just unfollowable. It doesn't make any sense, and become virtually indistinguishable from the world. Now, I think both of those positions are are a misunderstanding of what is being taught us here, and to understand what is being taught, we need to understand both the the context of why it is that the Apostle Paul is writing in this way to these people at this place, this time. And we also, really importantly, need to understand the Old Testament background to what is being written here because this passage is full of Old Testament references. And the the big picture we need to see this morning is that for us who are Christians to remain uncompromised with the world is always a real and present issue. And that's as true for us in BCP today as it was for the Christians in Corinth 2,000 years ago. If If we're not living... With purity, then everything else about what we're doing is compromised. As we plan and prepare for January the 8th, when we're planning to be back in two congregations here in Alder Road, we mustn't lose sight of the necessity for purity. We we mustn't be unequally yoked with the world. So let's think about the Old Testament background to what is being written here. Just a few verses, but the Apostle Paul quotes directly from four Old Testament books. Leviticus, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and 2 Samuel. And there's also allusions here to Deuteronomy and to Jeremiah. So six Old Testament books are referenced in these instructions that were given here in Scripture. And that's interesting because this letter written to the church in Corinth was written to people who hadn't grown up reading and knowing the Old Testament. The, the believers in Corinth were not from a Jewish background, and so they wouldn't have grown up reading, understanding, learning the Old Testament. They'd only been believers in Jesus for a few years, and yet the Apostle Paul expects expects them to recognize, understand, and apply the teachings of the Old Testament. And and that's a a lesson to us. It's a good encouragement to go to the Tyndall House event in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, It's why we often do teach from the Old Testament here, because if we don't understand the Old Testament, we can't understand the story of the New Testament. The the two go together. They're one testament. They all point to Jesus Christ. And there is this Old Testament principle, which the Apostle Paul is now applying, which is that God is holy, God is pure, and God's people must also be holy, God's people must be pure. We we see that this is God's call to his people all the way through the story, Genesis 12, We read about how God calls Abraham, and it's through Abraham and Abraham's descendants that God is going to make his good news known to the world. And he says to Abraham, you're going to be blessed and you will be a blessing. All nations of the earth will be blessed through you because you're going to be blessed by me. But the way in which this is worked out is by Abraham and his descendants actually being very distinct from the other nations of the world. And so God gives Abraham all kinds of other instructions you're to circumcise your sons, your children are not to marry unbelieving foreigners, you're not to worship other gods, and you're, not, you're just not to mix and blur stuff together. You're to be separate, set apart, cut off in a sense from the normal practices and beliefs of the world. And so we get to Deuteronomy 22, which is one of the passages that Paul references in 2 Corinthians 6, and it has these, what to us seem like rather strange instructions. Do not plant two kinds of seed in your vineyard. If you do, not only the crops you plant, but also the fruit of the vineyard will be defiled. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. That's the instruction which starts the passage there in 2 Corinthians 6. Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Do not wear clothes of wool and linen woven together. Now, to us, these instructions seem odd, maybe downright weird. And if you're part of one of our Community Bible reading groups you'll have been reading Deuteronomy recently and probably stumbling and struggling through all these rather odd strange instructions what we need to see about these instructions that God gives his people is that they are about his people being identified as pure there's a a separatedness about God's people which makes them distinct from the other nations around they're not to rely on magic formulas to be fruitful. That, the instruction about planting different seeds its probably uh, about some kind of uh, uh, magical kind of uh, superstition about how you grew crops in order to be increased fruitfulness. And, and the people of God are not to indulge in that kind of superstition, but to trust God for his provision. Don't yoke an ox and a donkey together. If you do that, there's always an inequality. Uh, an ox and a donkey are very different very different size, very different power. And, and there's the cruelty about yoking an ox and donkey. And you're not to be cruel to your animals in the way that the nations are. There's a, we see something of the kindness of God, that God cares about the ox and the donkey. Don't yoke the ox and the donkey together. To do that is cruel. And, and you're, not, you're to be so unblurred in your commitment to me that you don't, you don't even meh, uh, blur your, your, your clothing. Don't, don't have mixed fibers in your clothing. And and for us, this might be particularly challenging. Probably all of us are breaching at least that command this morning. I know know at least my socks are a blend of cotton, polyester, nylon. Who else knows what else? As I'm standing here preaching to you in my socks, do my socks mean that I am disqualified as being outside of God's will because I've got a blend of of fabrics on my feet? Now... The specifics of these rules no longer apply to us because they have been fulfilled in Christ. In Christ, the perfection of God's law is kept completely and we are no longer subject to the minutiae of its details, but the principles do still apply. And that's what we see here in what the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth in which it applies to us. If God is holy, so must his people be. There can't be a blurring. There can't be a fuzziness about us. There can't be... Uh, the people of God cannot compromise, compromise with, the, with the ways of the world. We are to be distinct. And, and, and that means you can wear socks which are made of different fabrics now. That's okay. Because of what Christ has done. We don't keep the rules in the same way as before Christ. But we can't afford to blur in our fundamental commitment to God and what that looks like. There is... isn't. God is holy, and his people are still called to be holy. That hasn't changed. Actually, what's happened now is that in Christ, we are empowered to be holy in a way which is very different from what the people knew before the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the Old Testament context. The the context of the church in Corinth, the reason why this passage is in our Bibles, why it was written to this church in Corinth, why Paul was given these instructions, is because these believers did display an ongoing tendency to blur, to get caught up in the ways of the world. They they were Corinthians, and they had come to faith in Christ. They were different. They were distinct. But always the tendency, always the temptation for them was to go back and behave just like Corinthians, to lose any sense of distinction as belonging to God and being his people. And the Apostle Paul wants to show them that God is holy and so... You must be holy. And the reason you're to be holy is because what we have in Christ is so much greater than what the world offers. God is holy. He calls you to be holy as his people. And being holy, being pure, being set apart for God is much better than what you will get by acting like a Corinthian. Living like a Christian is a much more fruitful way to live than living like a Corinthian. Is what Paul wants his people to see. And in this list of contrasts that he gives... He uh, says there's no harmony between Christ and Belial. Who's Belial? Belial was a a Jewish term for Satan, and uh, that term came from the word which meant worthlessness or nothingness. What the apostle Paul is saying here is that what Satan in the end offers is worthless. It's it's nothing. And, And the things that Corinth prizes, the things that the city of Corinth pursued in the end were worthless. They're, they're nothing. And, and Paul wants this church to see look, there's a better way. Don't, don't yoke yourself to what is worthless. Don't yoke yourself to what in the end is nothing. Pursue Christ. You belong to God. You have these promises in Him. Live in a way which reflects that. Don't, don't lose it by giving yourself back to the worthless ways of Corinth. Don't be yoked with what is worthless. In Christ, we have all things. So don't yoke yourself to what in the end is no thing. And if you yoke an ox and a donkey together, that's always a cruel thing to do. It's never going to be pretty. And we can't, as Christians, afford to be yoked to the worthless pursuits of this world. We need to remember who we are, that we're God's pure people, living with a sense of purpose, not pursuing what in the end is worthless, And Paul helps the Corinthians and us to see this by describing three things that we Christians are. Remember what you are. Remember what you are. There are three images here. The first is in verse 16, that we are God's temple. Then in verse 17, that we are God's priests. And then in verse 18, that we are God's sons and daughters. Remember these things, Paul says. Remember who you are. Remember what you are. Remember you're God's temple, you're God's priests, you're God's sons and daughters. And in light of that, live in a way which is pure and pleasing to God. The temple was a place where people went to have things done for them. You went to the temple, you took your offering, you took your sacrifice. And you came to worship God, but really it was a priest who worshiped on your behalf. It was the priest who offered the sacrifice on your behalf, who offered the offering on your behalf. It was a priest who stood between the people and God. Now, because of what Christ has done, we are the temple of God. We have become living stones being built into a spiritual house. Among whom God walks, is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. In him, in Christ, the whole building is joined together, rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. God's presence is amongst us. God walks amongst us this morning. As in this room, there's a, a bunch of living stones. God is present by his Holy Spirit amongst us today. We're in this physical building, but we are the spiritual building, the spiritual house among whom God lives. And the house needs to be in good order. God's temple wasn't to be compromised by idolatry. There wasn't a multi-faith zone somewhere in the temple. No, God is the true God, and you worship him alone in the temple. And, And we, as God's temple, we can't afford to have a place of idolatry, which we try and keep God out of. No, we need to See who we are, the temple of God amongst whom God dwells. Live in the light of that promise. The next thing that we're promised is that we're priests. In the Old Testament, the priests did the things on behalf of the people, but now, because of what Christ has done, all believers are priests called to minister before God. First Peter 2:9: You are a chosen people, a royal priest is a holy nation. God's special possession, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are priests who get to minister before God and declare his praises. Under the old priesthood, there was no space for compromise. We read some very sobering stories in the Old Testament about what happened if the priests compromised, if the priests fell into corruption and idolatry, how God judged that. We are called to be priests of God. And that means that we shouldn't compromise. There needs to be a purity about us in how we worship God and declare his praises. How we declare in the darkness his wonderful light. And then it says that we are sons and daughters. Through Christ we enter into this full experience of sonship. I will be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. What a a beautiful promise God says to us. God says to us, you're going to be sons and daughters. Ephesians 1 verse 5, he predestined us for adoption, to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. You come to faith in Jesus and the father says, you're my son, you're my daughter. You have all the rights and responsibilities and privileges of being a child of this house. You You don't have to be intimidated. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to ask permission. You're allowed in. It belongs to you because it belongs to me. But there's also responsibilities in terms of how you need to represent the father. You need to represent this house. There's there's got to be an integrity about your sonship, your daughtership. Don't go back to your orphan ways. Don't behave that way. Recognize who you are as a son, as a daughter of the king. And so we have these promises, Paul says. What what is the church? What are the people of God? We are this living temple amongst whom God walks. We are priests among whom there is to be no unclean thing. And we are children declared to be the fathers, sons, and daughters. So since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves. Remember who you are. Remember what you've become. Remember what it is to be a living stone. A priest declaring the praises of God and a child of the king. But what then does that mean practically? A phrase which is often used by Christians is that we should be in the world but not of the world. We're not to remove ourselves from the world, but we are in a sense to remove the world from us. That we still live in the world. We don't cut ourselves off from those who don't know Christ, but we're not to have worldly values in us. And the focus of what Paul teaches us here is not that we judge the world out there, but that we live up to what we have become. We live in the light of these promises of what Christ has done for us. And um, this has already been made explicit in in Paul's earlier letter. We think a sequence of letters that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and we just have two of them, what we call 1st and 2nd Corinthians, but actually they weren't 1st and 2nd, they were probably 2nd and 4th letters. But anyway, in what we call 1st Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes this, I wrote to you in my letter, another previous letter, not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Again, it's a challenging passage, but the implication is clear. The focus isn't on judging the world. The focus is on ourselves having integrity as people who know Christ and live in the light of that. And that's why he says here, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1, since we have these promises, purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. Perfect holiness out of reverence for God. It's not that we're not meant to leave the world, but we're not meant to compromise with the world. We're to purify ourselves, body and spirit, the whole person, everything about us, uh, 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 what we do physically, what we think, uh, our spiritual state is to... We're to live in purity before God because God is holy and God has called us to purity and he's given us these great and precious promises of what we are. Now, the the good news is that this isn't something which we have to work up ourselves. The reality is that if you are a Christian, God does this work of purification in you. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11, You were washed, you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is such good gospel news. If you have come to Christ at that moment of trust in Him, God declares you washed, sanctified, justified. God declares you to be pure. No matter where you've come from, no matter what you might have done, no matter what thoughts you might have had or actions you've done, you are declared to be washed, sanctified, justified. There's that immediate welcome into the courts of God. You immediately are made a spiritual stone and living temple. You are immediately declared to be a priest who can declare God's praises. You immediately are declared to be a son or a daughter of the king. This is who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ. Such good news. And the really good news about that is that it means that purity is possible. Purity is possible. In this room this morning, amongst us, I'm sure, I know, there will be all kinds of things that different people here are resting with, all kinds of tugs back to the world different people are struggling with, all kinds of things which we have failed in, sinned in, messed up in. The Apostle Paul could have written this letter to us as well as to the church in Corinth. We, we live in a culture which is so powerful, it's currents, it's pressures, and it's so ungodly. And we can so easily get caught up in the way of the world. And it might be even this morning, you're here at church and you're wrestling with something. Something you think, I just, I just cannot get through this. It feels like all the time I get caught up in what is essentially idolatry. I, for, I forget who I am. I forget who God is. And I follow the way of the world. And the good news is that purity is possible. Because when you come to Christ, you are declared washed, sanctified, justified. What we need to do is respond, to live up to what God has already made us. A particular focus of this in both the letters to the Corinthians we have is around the area of sexual morality. And this is uncomfortable, an uncomfortable thing for us to talk about, but it's one of those ones we can't dodge because there's such an important theme in the Scriptures. And as we as we read through the Scriptures, not just... Here in the letters to the Corinthians, but throughout the scriptures, what we see is how closely idolatry and immorality go together. The two things go hand in hand. Idolatry and immorality go hand in hand. One leads to the other. That Pantheism and polytheism, having many gods, is always tied to having many sexual partners. It's why God in the commandments, Exodus 20, 10 commandments, first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Idolatry, seventh commandment, you should not commit adultery. The two things are intimately entwined. Adultery is always actually the consequence of idolatry. They're two sides of the same coin. And those of you in this room who yourselves have been caught in this, you know this only too painfully, those of you who've been caught up in adultery or sexual immorality more broadly. You you know the painful reality of this. The reason that happens fundamentally is it's because of idolatry. The reason that we fall into worldliness is because at that point we stop believing in God. We forget who he is and we forget who we are and we act in a way which is contrary to how a pure God would have his pure people act. The problem always is idolatry. That's why that's the first command. Have no other gods before me. That's always a problem. And The issue for those in this room who've been caught up in some of that stuff, particularly in the, all kinds of other things, all the other things that Paul lists of greed and swindling and all the other kinds of stuff, but it's a particularly painful one, relevant one so often is around the area of sexual morality. Those in this room who've been affected by that is part of the problem is that we can find often grace and forgiveness from God quicker than we can find it in ourselves or from others. And if we sin and we turn to God and ask for his forgiveness he's gracious and kind he declares us to be washed sanctified justified the apostle Paul's hope for this church was that they would again live in purity it wasn't, he wasn't abandoning them they got so worldly in so many areas but he wasn't abandoning them for That he had hoped they would live as they should temples of the living God priests ministering before God sons and daughters of the king but it can be harder ourselves to find the grace. It can be harder ourselves to forgive people who've sinned against us. It can be; These things can be more difficult. So Lord, I do pray. I pray for those here this morning, even in this room, who have been affected by these things. Lord, I pray for those who themselves have slipped into idolatry and hence into immorality. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning who is calling that stuff even now, that you would cause them... You'd work in their spirits and cause them to have faith and courage and humility to turn to you and ask for forgiveness to confess their sins and find grace and healing from you. And Lord, I pray for those in this room who've been affected by this. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling to be forgiven or those who are struggling to forgive. I pray, Jesus, that you'd help us to step into your kindness and your grace i pray lord where trust has been broken and damage has been done and relationships have been weakened i pray lord god that you would come and you'd minister healing and kindness and grace you'd allow relationships to be restored trust to be rebuilt purity to be regained that lord we might all stand before you knowing who we are living stones In the temple of God priests with clean hands able to minister before you children given free permission to run into your arms I ask for your kindness to us in this Jesus amen might not be sex that is your thing it might be something else where you the tug of the world of idolatry is is strong But all of us together need to do what Paul here encouraged us to do. Dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, whatever it is, wherever that contamination might come from in your life. You know what it is, the thing which lures you, the thing that grabs your attention, the thing where you're most likely to act like Corinth rather than like a Christian, the thing where you're likely to forget who God is, forget who you are, the thing where you forget you're a living stone, the, the thing which would cause you to feel like you've got dirty hands rather than clean hands when you come to minister before God, the, the things which would cause you to forget that you're really a child and start to feel like an orphan. All of us have those things. All of us have those pulls and those tugs. And whatever they are, whatever, whatever would contaminate body and spirit, let us purify ourselves, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. If you're a Christian, you have been washed, sanctified, justified. But we are still to perfect holiness. That means that we're to live it out. And as we go back, as we prepare to go into two congregations in January, there really is no point us doing that if we do not prepare for purity. We can be as bold and adventurous as ever we could. We could display as much compassion to as many people as we possibly can. But if we're compromised in our purity, the rest all falls apart in the end because we're called to be living stones amongst whom God walks. We're called to be priests who can come with clean hands. We're called to know the security of being children adopted by God. And so we do need to prepare ourselves for purity. We need to step into and embrace what Christ has done for us and live in the goodness of that. We're not to be yoked to what in the end is worthless, but instead we're to know Jesus and his pure love and power at work in amongst us. Amen. Lord God, I do pray for us. I pray for those here this morning for whom even reading this passage is difficult, complex, maybe raises some painful things. I pray, do pray for your kindness, your healing gentleness to be at work in their hearts. And I I pray for us, Lord, as a a community, as a a church, that we wouldn't be compromised, Lord, that you would, in your grace, help us to pursue purity, not in a way which becomes legalistic and not in a way which causes us to cut ourselves off from the world, but Lord, in a way which enables us to walk in the world, but untouched by it, knowing that we're not yoked to what is worthless, but we're yoked to you. And your yoke is light and your burden is easy and you bring us into what is good and purposeful and beautiful and life-giving and joy-filled. And so I pray that we'd step into that, enter into it and know it for our good and your glory, King Jesus. Amen.